If you have your Bibles here today, you can open them up to Matthew chapter 5. And if you are, you've got your Sermon on the Mount notebook with you, uh, I believe it's the third chunk of Scripture, third page that we're on there. We do have more Sermon on the Mount notebooks on your way out. If uh, you don't have one yet, you would like to have that, uh, we would love to put that in your hands. But we are on a series right now that we're continuing uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. It is uh, the longest single teaching we get from Jesus. It is, covers three chapters in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 chapter 6 and chapter 7. It's 107 verses of Jesus speaking on all types of different topics. And uh, really what we find in these three chapters is uh, the closest we get to Jesus's manifesto. That this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This gives us our code of conduct, our group identity. Like if we put our faith in Jesus, how do we actually live out that faith? What does it look like when someone says, I'm, I'm going to follow the ways, the practices, and the teachings of Jesus? And what we've already come to find out, as we're still early in this series, like four or five months in, uh, we're still early in it. What we're already finding out is that Jesus, his people, as we see God's people all throughout Scripture, are to be a people that are set apart, just live different. Salt of the earth, light of the world, people hungering and thirsting for righteousness, people who are reorienting the way that we view a blessed life. Like it is a very different way of living. It is a people that is set apart, not for salvation, but because we understand what the gospel has done in our lives, it transforms the way that we live. We've talked about the words justification, which is instantaneously, when you put your faith in Jesus, we are forgiven, we are made, we are declared holy. And then this term sanctification is the ongoing process of becoming the holiness that that has already been declared over us. And followers of Jesus, we are forgiven. Uh, life abundant and life eternal is gifted to us by grace. And then we live out the rest of our days growing in the character of Jesus. We're becoming more and more like him. We're, we're looking more and more different than the world and society and culture around us. Uh, we today, we're uh, gonna read out loud verses 17 through 20. Uh, and I've made you stand and sit so much today. This is, uh, this is like a, back to a liturgical church here. This is great. Uh, but I'm gonna ask you to stand one more time if you're willing and able. We're going to read the Word of God. I'll read this uh, out loud. You can just follow along uh, on the screen or uh, in your Bibles, in your notebook, on your phone. Um, I'm going to read verses 17 through 20 as Jesus continues his message. He says this, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We believe that it is alive and it is active and it is transforming us into your image. Lord, we pray that today as uh, we make a couple of observations and study uh, just this small portion of your word, that uh, our hearts today would be open, receptive, and responsive. Let us not leave here unchanged, but would you challenge us, mature us, and grow us through your holy word. We love you. It's your name we gathered. It's your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. I don't intend to make you stand anymore. So sit back, relax, and let's enjoy. Um, in this section that we are, are studying here, we see a uh, 
Jesus kind of, he's, he's about to spend the rest of this chapter and six times he's gonna say phrase like, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. He's, he's bringing in a new way of thinking once again, just like he did in the Beatitudes. Like this is the way that you were oriented towards, but now I wanna introduce to you a new way of thinking, a new way of viewing. And uh, specifically, verse 19 is what we're gonna look at again today. We looked at it last week. But uh, he, he says, so if you ignore even the least of these commandments and you teach others to do the same, that you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys these and teaches others will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Quick recap here, because the, the first word we're looking at uh, is the word so, or some of your translation says therefore. What's really important for us when we're in a moment like this uh, is, is whenever the word so or the word therefore is there, what it's saying is the previous statement is really important for us to understand because the following statement builds on that previous statement. So uh, let's, uh, before we jump in today's, let's remind ourselves what was the previous statement. Jesus just said, do not misunderstand why I've come, meaning some people do. He says, I did not come to put an end to, to abolish, to end the, the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. In fact, I, I find that I am the fulfillment of all of those teachings, all of those writings. And what's really important for us to acknowledge again before we jump into today's teaching is Jesus has just not only affirmed the writings of the law and the prophets, what we now know as the Old Testament, but he finds his own personal identity in those writings. That uh, we find also at the end of the book of Luke, Jesus shares the gospel with these people between his resurrection and his ascension. And he, he starts with the law of Moses and he tells his gospel story through the law and the prophets. That Jesus not only affirms these teachings, these writings, but he finds personal identity in them. Meaning this, in a day and age where there is a battle for the Bible, where there is uh, those thoughts and beliefs of, of people beginning to, to separate portions of scripture is not for today. We've progressed beyond that, uh, loosening or unhitching from the Old Testament, some phrases like this going around in, in Christian culture. Uh, I just find it difficult to say that I am drawing near to the person of Jesus and distancing myself from the very things he finds identity in. It just doesn't work that uh, we, we want to be a people that recognize where Jesus affirms and Jesus identifies with and whether it fits our personality, if it fits our culture, we, we bow to what Jesus said. Like if we're gonna be followers of Jesus, we don't distance ourselves from the very places he finds uh, identity in and the places that he affirms. So he has just spoken highly of the law and the prophets. He says, because I speak so highly of this, if anyone breaks or, or uh, ignores one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same is the least in the kingdom of heaven. Again, I wanna be quick on our review, but it's important for us to recognize this verse, what we're talking about. He doesn't say exclusion from the kingdom of heaven. It is the grace of God through faith alone that gives us access to eternity in heaven that forgives us. Then beyond that, there is a sanctification process. And uh, I thought this week we would talk more about greatest and least. We're gonna do that next week. There's just too much, there's too many goodies in this verse. It's gonna take us a little bit. Uh, but uh, he, he talks about least and the greatest, but it is access into the kingdom of heaven. So he, he acknowledges it. Then last week we talked about personally when the way that we live, the way that we behave is, is breaking or is ignoring or is loosening the least of these commandments. Um, some of your translations, again, use, use these, these three different words. But I think sometimes we can view the law and we understand what it means to break it. We know the law, we see the law. I'm just not gonna do it. I'm not gonna follow it. I'm gonna do something in opposition to the law that is written. Sometimes that's, that's how we break the law. Sometimes it's, it's ignoring or it's ignorance. 
we break a law or we, we dishonor, we do something wrong because we didn't actually really know that that was the rule. We didn't know that was the law. And so sometimes it's not an intentional, I see it, I'm just not gonna do it. Sometimes it is ignoring, it's not seeing, it's not learning, it's not studying what I ought to do in this moment. And then sometimes, this is where we spent most of our time last week, we, we loosen the law. Uh, and, and it's where, no, we know the law, we're not, ignoring it, but we do have a tendency to say, how can I loosen this standard to a way that is more convenient for my position in life? Uh, we talked about driving as the easiest illustration of this, and it's uh, much more meaningful in other aspects of life, but we'll, we'll approach the driving laws. Well, we know the speed limit is this, but everyone else is driving a little bit faster, and they're not going to pull me over if I'm just going five miles over. Uh, when I started through that intersection, it was mostly yellow. Like, it was, it's fine. Uh, we, we find ourselves not... Not saying, no, no I, I'm intentionally breaking that law and I know I'm breaking it. We find ourselves loosening or justifying the way that we're living by lowering the standard to be more convenient for, for what I would like. And uh, this, is, this is a danger that Jesus speaks to. Uh, I told you last week that uh, Charlie, our oldest, is she has her permit and she uh, is, is learning to drive and driving around town a lot. Hopefully gets her uh, license in January and uh, had some fun telling you about her driving. But uh, we followed up that conversation with her this week about driving. And she was letting us know that um, when, when she's learning to drive with mom and dad in the car, she said uh, she feels a whole lot more uh, pressure when one of us is in the car than the other one in the car. And we're like, well, tell us more about this. You know, this is interesting. She's like, uh, well, I feel different. It's harder to drive with, certain, with, with a different parent in the front. And I was like, well, you're gonna tell us what's going on here. She says, uh, dad, when you're in the passenger seat, it's way harder. I feel way more pressure, I'm way more nervous. I'm like way more anxious than when mom's driving. And so Danny comes in and we're in this conversation together. Like, tell, tell, tell us about this. She's like, well, dad, you're just like, you're so much of a rule follower. And you're like, we're really paying attention to every single detail. And you're telling me everything that I'm supposed to do. Mom's just kind of more loose. And uh, you know, when, when she's driving, she just goes a little bit faster. And she's like, and we're both hearing this. And what we both hear is we're the better driver. Like we both hear the same thing. Like, of course, like, yes, I do do that. Cause that's what a good driver is supposed to do. Danny's like, we're getting there as efficiently as possible. And uh, we both hear it this way. But as she's, Charlie's telling us that um, the way that we're teaching her, both in the words that we're saying, and then even the observation she's had of the way that we drive is also teaching her something. This is where I wanna get to today. We're gonna transition from us loosening the law for our own benefits, but it says, and teaches others. I wanna talk about the teaching side of this. When I consider driving with my daughter, the truth is the words and the instructions that are spoken is a form of teaching. But what is also a form of teaching is the way that we're saying those words, and maybe even more importantly, the observation she makes on how we drive. She's learning, she's always been learning how to drive based on observation of the behavior of other drivers, most specifically probably her parents that she's riding in the car with. And so I wanna talk today about um, and teaching others to loosen. This is a tendency that we have in our humanity to loosen it for ourselves. But the reality is, is when we loosen it for us, we're not the only one that it's impacting. When we loosen God's standards of righteousness, pursuit of holiness to something that fits our stage of life a little bit better, or seems to be more culturally acceptable, it's never just affecting us. It's affecting the people around us and most specifically the people that we influence. I wanna say it this way. Whenever we loosen a command, loosen a law, 
And there becomes a, a lower standard now of this law. To us, we justify it. But what we are doing is we are setting a, a new bar of what is normal for the people that we influence, if this makes sense. That's, um, to us, we know the standard of the law is here. And now we're gonna transition from driving to God's standard of righteousness. We know what he's called us to do, but it's a lot more convenient for us to loosen it and be like, well, it's okay. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. And we then lower the bar. But then there are people that we influence and the people that we influence, they're observing somebody who is following Jesus and yet this is the standard with which they're living. And then the human tendency is to do what again? It's to loosen it again. And then we have this, this conflict, this confusion or this frustration where we can look at the, we'll just talk about this generationally, where there can be one generation looking at the next generation and seeing their behavior and saying, how could you? When the reality is, is it's the generation above us maybe loosened it enough for our new normal and they're looking at us and said, how could we? Because we loosened it once again. And we can look all around society, whether it's in finances and debt or, or diet or sexuality and what has happened is progressively generation after generation begins to loosen what the standard is and then be disgusted when the next generation does it. And then we're confused why culture is where it's at when we were participants in loosening up God's standard of righteousness. And I just say, I think that what Jesus is calling his people to is to be the people that just draw the line in the sand and say, no, we're not going to be of those that loosen even the least of these commandments. And the way that we speak and the way that we live, we're not gonna lower the bar for the next generation. We're gonna let them know what the standard of God is. We will be a people that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I think it's, it's, certainly can be frustrated in the way that culture is going or the way the next generation lives, however you wanna look at it. But we can't simultaneously be loosening the standard on our life and be frustrated with what the next generation is doing. There's be some level of, of us saying, no, I'm not gonna be the one to loosen and I'm not gonna be the one that sets a new normal of a loosened pursuit of righteousness for the people that we influence. Jesus is saying that we do not just look at the way that this loosening impacts ourselves, but those that we are influential too. We talked about uh, how the, the light of the world, everyone has a stand. I wanna ask you, in your life, who are the people that you influence? And maybe we just go back to what, what are your platforms? Because the reality is, is that you might not hold a microphone, you might not stand up in front of a crowd, but you are all teaching. We're all teachers by what we say, how we say it, and most importantly, by the way that we are conducting our lives. In your platform, I wanna ask you again, what is your platform? For some of you, it is your own home. Some of you, it's parenting the next generation. Some of you, it's, it's in your neighborhood. For some of you, the, the areas of influence are in the boardroom. For some of you, it's in the classroom. For some of you, it's in the locker room. But you are people of influence. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Like you are this. You have this impact and this influence in the community around you. And when you have that platform, not just the words that you speak, but the way that you are conducting your lives, it is teaching. And Jesus has some strong words. He says, anyone who loosens the least of these laws and then the way that they're Im impacting the, their areas of influence is causing them to loosen it as well. He says, they're the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who looks at God's laws and is looking at holiness and righteousness and is saying, no, I'm gonna stand up for this and this is what we're gonna pass on to the next generation. We're gonna pass on to the areas of influence. He calls them the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I, uh, I wanna say again, some loosening, some ignoring, maybe is due to, to negligence. And uh, we gotta be of those that are students of the word of God, that we are learning and we're growing. The immaturity when you're, and I don't mean it in a derogatory term, but when you're just newer to faith, newer to church, newer to following Jesus, there's gonna be a lot of, of not knowing God's laws that is, is normal and is natural. 
But there is a growing and an understanding of the Word of God that is, is expected of us as we're continuing, continually growing in following Jesus. Um, and we gotta be of those that say, uh, not only am I gonna not ignore, I'm not gonna intentionally break, but I'm not going to loosen. Again, sometimes I think loosening comes in the form of like, well, it's, it's the weekend, and so this now is okay. Or, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just a weekend out with the guys, or it's a ladies' night, or we can find ourselves saying like, this behavior in this setting, I'm okay loosening it, but these are moments of influence. These are moments of salt and light. And he says, do not loosen and do not teach others to loosen. Um, I wanna take a, a couple of minutes here, and this is why uh, we're gonna delay some of the greater and lesser teaching to next week. I was really praying about uh, how to, to teach this, and I think this is what we're gonna spend a couple of minutes on is just really important for, uh, especially those of you that call Anchor Church your home. Um, I wanna just give a, a quick snapshot of the systems and structures that we have in place as a church to be sure that Anchor Church is a place that doesn't break, ignore, or loosen the least of these commands. Um, it's not just dependent on systems and structures to make sure that we're a church that does this, but I wanna start with some of the systems and structures, and then we're gonna to transition to what does this mean for us as a body. Um, I just wanna say, uh, Anchor Church, again, we're almost three years old and we had almost a year before we actually launched where we were writing statements of faith and bylaws and trying to figure out what, what life after COVID was gonna look like. And so we had a season of time where we were looking at uh, starting Anchor Church. And uh, in this season, uh, we wanted to be really clear on, on what we believed and what was gonna be a healthy, long-lasting community. And so uh, we spent a lot of time on systems and structures that we believed in would keep this a, a healthy community. And amongst other details, how do we make sure that this is a church that will not down the road deviate from the standards of scripture? That uh, when a lot of, of, of the world and culture and even Christian culture is beginning to drift and distance from some categories or some teachings of scripture or from the Old Testament, how do we make some systems and structures in place to make sure that this church doesn't do that? And so uh, we, we developed uh, several different things. And we're not gonna do a deep dive on this right now with you, but I want you to know that there is a, a very clear statement of faith for Anchor Church. It's available on our website. We, we try to make it as accessible as possible. Like these are the core uh, beliefs that, that Anchor Church stands on and won't deviate from. And uh, we wanna make sure that that's really clear, that that's what this church body believes. Meaning that if down the road there is leadership beliefs that change in, in individuals or in groups like uh, that deviate from what Anchor Church believes, uh, Anchor Church doesn't just continue to adapt and change to somebody's personal thoughts and feelings, that this is what Anchor Church believes. And if there's leadership that begins to deviate from those beliefs, it's the leader that goes, not the church beliefs. Uh, we wanna make sure that it's very clear. This is what Anchor Church stands for. And so uh, we, obviously as we're building this and beginning, like we wanted to make it clear that it was something that we could buy into and we could believe in. But should it come down the road where there's leadership that um, doesn't align with this, this is what stays. And so we even put our statement of faith within our church's bylaws. As a nonprofit, we have bylaws and the statement of faith is within it, meaning that it's not an easy process to just adapt a statement of faith. Any variation, there is now processes and how bylaws can get changed within an organization. And so we don't want it to be an easy to adjust. That doesn't mean that down the road, if there's some growth and some, some new understanding of, of, of areas maybe we were off in, that it's impossible to change it, but we wanted it to be difficult to change. And there's a lot of other wise voices involved in any type of changing. And so uh, it's, it's written and there's some written doctrines and we wanna be sure this is what this church is gonna stand on. It's not gonna deviate. It's not gonna loosen, break, or ignore the least of these commandments. Um, within our bylaws, we also have some authority structures. 
Again, not gonna do a deep dive on this, but we have uh, an elder board and then we have a separate financial board, our board of directors, they're separate. And then we have a board of overseers. Uh, because we are non-denominational, we wanted to make sure that there was some authority and accountability. And how do we create these structures that have proper checks and balances so that not, not one of us or a few of us can go rogue on what we believe or how this church operates. We wanted healthy structures within it. When it comes to, to doctrine and to what we're teaching amongst there's various other checks and balances as well. Um, we, we have a, a direct access from our elders to our overseers. And if you haven't met our overseers yet, they're, they're gonna be coming in soon. Once a year they come in and they preach, a chance to get to, for you to get to know them and them get to know you. Um, but the elders have direct access to the overseers. And if the elders have any question about uh, the lead pastor's uh, teaching, theology, morality, finances, anything, uh, the, el the elders get approached to overseers and the overseers have absolute authority to discipline the lead pastor, to fire the lead pastor, to do what is right, to make sure that this church holds to the truth that we said this church is gonna hold to. And if there's deviation from them, the guy's gotta go. Um, that's just what we wanted to be sure. So even as we uh, interviewed overseers and put them in place, the last question asked is, if it's the healthiest for the church and it is holding the word of God to the highest standard, will you fire the lead pastor? And if they don't say yes, they don't get to be an overseer. Like it is the standard of God's word and what is healthiest for the church that has to be the overriding decision-making process. So I want you to know we have these systems in place. If you want more information on that, feel free to ask, check out the website. We'd love to give you more and more information. But I want you to know that um, we want to be really cautious and deliberate as a church. That um, uh, this is not the only teaching. Everything that we're doing as a body is teaching. But when there is public teaching like this, how do we be sure that this will be a place that doesn't break, ignore, or loosen the least of these commands. We wanna hold tightly to the truth of God's word. Now I wanna to transition to not just what systems do we have in place, because that's good, but also what's really important is that we have a body that is engaged in making sure that this is a place that is not ignoring, breaking, or loosening the least of these commandments. So I wanna put this now, what does it mean for you? If Anchor Church is your home, what does this look like for you? What is your role? And uh, I believe that there's two responsibilities that land on the shoulders of all of us. Here's the two responsibilities of making sure that this community doesn't loose, break, or ignore the truth of, of God's word. Number one, grow in your own biblical literacy. It's really important. It's your role to grow in biblical literacy to make sure that this is a place that holds to, to the truths of God's word. Number two, grow in your spiritual discernment. Growth in your spiritual discernment. It's biblical literacy and it's spiritual discernment that is on the body, not just on people who are on staff at a church, it's on the body to grow in these ways. Uh, I, I wanna say this, um, and I know I'm the guy who talks the most, but there's other preachers and communicators as well. But I wanna say this, um, at some point, if, if this is your church or whatever church is your church, there should be some level of trust in the leadership, some level of trust in the experience you've had with the people who are teaching the truth. I think that trust begins to grow and to be built. But I just wanna say this publicly, that I don't think that there should ever be a blind trust or a soul dependence on a communicator as your source of God's word for your life. It's really unhealthy, and in fact, it's really dangerous to say that I just have blind trust because they've got a microphone and they did some more studying than I did. I go work this labor job all week, they're studying, so I'm just gonna default and blindly trust whatever is said from a, a, a platform. It's actually really dangerous, both sides. It's dangerous for the communicators to put the weight on our shoulders of all of your spiritual nourishment and development is on my study and my communication. That's really unhealthy, it's really dangerous. 
It's also really bad for someone's ego to feel like I am that source for anybody, let alone a room full of people. It's really unhealthy. And it's a lot of places that, that leadership puts themselves in or creates a culture within a church that that's, that's the way and that's the way that should be looked at. It's just unhealthy. It's also unhealthy for the body to say that uh, I, I have no clue and I'm not even putting in the effort to know if this is true, if this is accurate, if this is biblical. I'm just gonna take his word for it because he studied more than I did. And this could lead us down a really dangerous road. So certainly some level of trust growing, but there should be a growth in your own biblical literacy and your own spiritual discernment. Acts chapter 17 talks about this um, with the, these people called the Bereans. Look at these few verses on the screen. It says, that very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. I love this. Paul and Silas show up and they begin teaching and it's intriguing the people. Like that sounds really good. They're gifted communicators. They're bringing kind of this new revelation that is really, I, I like this, uh, I'm inspired by it. And rather than just saying, okay, this new train of thought is so exciting and they're really good at telling us about it. So we're just gonna buy into it. It says what they did, not to go disprove everything, but they went to the scriptures themselves. And like, could this be true? Is the gospel that Paul is preaching, is that accurate? Is that right? And day after day, not with the preachers, day after day in their homes, they're studying scriptures and they're talking about it and they're learning and they're growing. And because they went back to the word of God on their own when they left the church service, many began to believe. I just believe that uh, the transformation that God can do in moments like this is powerful. We believe in it. We're always gonna expect God to move when we gather, when we're preaching his word, when we're praying for each other. God moves in moments like this, but so many people will be saved when we take the scripture that we heard and we go look at it for ourselves and it begins to transform us, not because somebody said it, but because we began to believe it, because we saw it, because we encountered the word of God and the presence of God when we were alone in, in our own bedroom. We're experiencing God there in ways that we've never felt it before. And he's revealing the truth of his word in those moments. That's where belief begins to really settle and begin to transform us. They went and they studied the word of God. Now I wanna say this, there are certainly gifts within the body, teaching being one of many, that we should utilize. Not everybody has every gift. And if we were to take any one spiritual gift and just say, who has this one? Most of us wouldn't. I just wanna say this, whenever we isolate one gift as the gift, only a few people are going to have it. And in this body, whatever gift we elevated, say who has this, most of us won't have it. So when someone has a gift, any gift, and I don't wanna make this exclusive to teaching, but for today's context, we're gonna look at teaching. If someone, God gifts them with the ability to teach, to articulate, to study, to stand up in front of people and not freak out by talking in front of a large crowd. If God gifts somebody that way, we absolutely lean into it and we empower it and we let that gift help the body. Just like we've got a team of people that are gifted in intercession and in faith and we lean into it and we let our prayer team be a gift to the body. We take every gift and we empower it. And so certainly there are gifts of teaching that God places within the body that we, we lean into and we let them be a source of encouragement and building the church. But I wanna make this so clear that there is not just one person who hears from God on your behalf that is just more spiritual or has a special access to God that you don't have and you need them as a mediator. 
It's not true. It's not what we believe. Uh, I want to make it clear that we do not, you do not need a mediator outside of Jesus to access the presence of God, the word of God, uh, the, 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 him speaking and encouraging and building you up. You don't need another human to be that on your behalf. I know that we got different backgrounds. We got different religious backgrounds represented here, different thoughts of, of needing a mediator between yourself and the presence of God. I just want to say that's not what we believe here. Even in simple ways, I know this is silly, but uh, as preachers and as communicators and as church staff, even the way that we dress is teaching a, a theology. Uh, meaning we try to dress normal. You might not think my normal is your normal, but we don't dress in a way that like only these super spiritual people get to don this garment or this robe because they are in elevated position over the rest of the body. Like we are a body. And certainly God has gifted some in certain ways. And yes, there's roles of leadership and responsibility as staff members of a church, but we don't, uh, we don't dress in a way that separates us from the body. We are a body. And it is so beautiful that we're gifted in different ways to make each other better. And we wanna step into the ways that God has gifted staff to help the rest of the body. And we wanna encourage the rest of the body to step into ways to help the, the whole body grow healthy and full of love. So we, we want to engage in these gifts, but I wanna make it clear that you do not need somebody else to hear from God on your behalf. I wanna say, um, I, again, I think it's maybe unhealthy to be the constant skeptic, always trying to pick apart everything that's being said, um, but it's not your role just to take the guy with the microphone's word for it. There must be an ongoing growth in your own biblical literacy and spiritual discernment. Maybe you're new to Anchor Church, um, I, I want to speak to you for a second, or maybe you're eventually going to go to another church and you'll be new there. I think, um, let's just say, maybe you've been here less than six months. I think that there absolutely should be a season where you're, you're entering into a new faith community where you're on high alert. The antennas are way up. You're trying to double check like everything. Is this a place that I can trust? Are they teaching biblical accuracy? Is there humility? Is there like the antennas should be up when you're to a place that you're new to. Um, and then I think that there's probably a time where trust begins to be built and you transition from more, maybe a little bit more uh, skeptical to a place where uh, I'm kind of buying into this. But I want to say whenever that point comes, it's not a, okay, now you need to check your brain out and take ever from now on, you just believe whatever's said. There needs to be a place where, yes, there's certain, uh, certainly a season of of awareness and a lot of conversation. And I love having conversations with people that are new here and maybe some backgrounds that we have are different from each other and how can we grow and sharpen and, and is this a place where I can stay? But at some point, um, the trust is being built and that point is not a point to just check out and say, okay, whatever, whatever he says from now on is good. Again, there is ongoing discernment. I don't know what's gonna come out of our mouths three years from now. We better have a discerning body. I don't know what the next wave of pressure culturally is gonna be. We better have a discerning body. We better be able to have honest communication and, and look at scripture and do our best to honor what the word of God is. And we're growing in our own biblical literacy. I wanna say this, um, discernment is so important because if we don't have it, it's so easy to be swayed by a smooth talker. It's so easy to be swayed by someone who has studied something more than we have. 
It's easy to be swayed by someone who just has a, a boldness, a charisma, a confidence in what's being delivered. And sometimes because it's maybe an area that we're not as, as educated in and someone's saying it with boldness and confidence, it's like, who am I to argue? But if we don't have discernment, we're at the mercy of the guy who studied the most or the guy who can speak it the boldest. But if we have discernment, all of a sudden we have this spiritual gift that gives us an intuition from the Holy Spirit to areas of maybe we're not as, as experienced in. I wanna finish by talking about discernment for just a moment. Because I think discernment uh, is essential. We're gonna pray for more discernment in just a moment here. Um, but I think discernment can sometimes be confused with suspicion. Sometimes discernment can be confused by skepticism. I want to say this, when we're healthy, discernment is such a gift. But when we're unhealthy, meaning um, we're operating out of hurt, we're operating out of trauma, what we could easily label discernment is often just, it's hurt, it's trauma, it's skepticism, it's, it's the inability to try again because of the hurt we've experienced in the past. This probably has happened in so many different areas of your life and I don't mean to dig up wounds in your life, but maybe you've experienced the time where because of the hurt you experienced in the past, the trust that was broken when you were abandoned, when you were abused, when you were cheated on, whatever that was, when that wound stirs up and then there's an opportunity for that next relationship to begin again, there, is, there obviously makes sense that there's some taking it slow, some, being, some precautions to take, but the danger is when we allow the fact that there is past trauma prevent us from ever moving forward into something healthy, we're missing out. And we can label it as just, you know, I'm just, just trying to be careful. And obviously there is room, and, and I'm trying to be careful with these words, there's room to be cautious and wise and discerning in those moments. But I think this happens so often in the church. And unfortunately, the church hurts people. And odds are, if I ask you to raise your hand, if you've ever been hurt through a church situation, the most of us would have our hands raised. The church has hurt people and it causes trauma in people's lives, but the danger is, is that when we allow past hurt or past trauma prevent us from faithfully engaging in what God has best for us in the days ahead. I don't know who this is because we've probably all been in these seasons of life. And I wanna approach you with so much grace but I also wanna say some of you today may be just so hesitant to engage again. I wanna tell you, don't throw discernment out the door. Have your antennas up, have the conversations, but don't let past trauma prevent you from what God's best is in his faith community. And that doesn't mean it has to be Anchor Church, but there is a place of belonging for you. There's a place to grow and mature in your faith. And it is so sad when church hurt prevents the future God's best relationships for you. So have discernment, take it easy, go slow, but don't miss out on the decades that God has ahead of you of faithfulness and faithful community. I'm gonna ask the band to join me. I wanna tell you, um, how do, we, how do we grow in these? What, how do we respond? If we're supposed to have biblical literacy and a growing discernment. One, biblical literacy, not that it's solely on you, but that's something you can do something about. You can decide what you watch, what you listen to. You can decide to read your Bible. You can decide to get in an anchored group. You can decide to be in a Bible study. You can, you can decide what you entertain yourself with. There's something you can do to begin to grow in your biblical literacy. Uh, and I wanna encourage you to do that. 
whatever those are, grow in biblical literacy. Discernment maybe is a little more difficult. How do I just get better at discerning? So I wanna talk about that for just a moment, but here's maybe what you can most, what you can do for both of these. If you wanna grow in biblical literacy and grow in discernment, get in the room with people who are biblically literate and have discernment. Get in an anchor group, start having some conversations and those people that have some, that just scriptures coming out of their mouth just as they're talking to you. People that have discernment when a, a situation comes up, when a decision's being made, and just become their best friend. Buy them so much coffee. Go invite them to dinner all the time. Get in the room with discerning people. Yeah. We, uh, I can't tease this out too much. We've got something coming up. You've heard us reference the anchored path. In the next couple of months, you're gonna hear so much about it, but what we're trying to do is we're developing a way uh, where we can really lean into discovering, developing, and deploying everybody in their spiritual gift, discernment being one of them. And I can't wait for the day where there is a challenge that you're facing and you need some spiritual discernment. And rather than just like talking to a buddy or calling your parents, which aren't bad things, or just hoping a pastor talks to you, what if, we got a list of the people in this community who God has gifted with discernment in a way that the rest of us don't have. And yes, we're learning and we're growing in that, but what does it look like to say, this is exactly who you go talk to and go pray with them and lay out what you're, you're trying to figure out in your life and let people of discernment speak into your life. We're working on this with all of our spiritual gifts. How do we get in the room at the table with the people that are gifted in ways that we don't have, but we're a body and so we can depend and grow with each other. Here's what I wanna end as we consider discernment. First Corinthians chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts at, at length and then chapter 13 and 14, a lot more. But I just wanna read these couple of verses and this is how we're gonna to respond today. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Not ourselves, but the Holy Spirit. If you put your faith in Him, the Holy Spirit's inside of you, He brings gifts. And there's a gift inside of you to help somebody else. He gives us to help each other, to one person. The Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of knowledge. The same Spirit uh, gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Let me read that one again. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Jump to the end of the chapter. There's some really good stuff in there, but he finishes with this in verse 29. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret the unknown languages? Of course not. Last verse. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. You should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Now, as we read the gifts, we could probably make an argument of how helpful all of them are. I don't think there's any that we just disregard and we don't seek it. But in today's context, and to be sure that we are a community, a body, that for the next 30 years that we hope to pastor this church and beyond, we know that someday we're not gonna be the leaders of this church, that uh, our leadership teams are gonna transition, there's gonna be other lead pastors, but we wanna set the tone that this will be a place doesn't loosen, break, or ignore the least of these commandments. And he gifts some with discernment. 
and we're to seek the most helpful gifts. And I think one of the most helpful things a church can have is a people of discernment. So how's our, here's how we're gonna end today. Uh, we're gonna wrap up in just a couple of minutes, but we're actually just gonna ask the Holy Spirit to give greater gifts of discernment to this church. And maybe it's you, where there's just this new sense of being able to discern what is of God and what is not. And maybe you're not as educated and studied, but there's just this confidence that's welling up inside of you. Maybe it's not you that gets this extraordinary gift of discernment, but we need it in this body. So we're gonna pray, God, would you just bring in and would you, would you just fill other people in this room with discerning gifts that's gonna make sure that this church is a place that is healthy and is growing and is full of love. And I think that today is a bit of a, an odd message. And again, part of me thought we just maybe bypass some of these thoughts, but I just think for the long-term health of this church, this is a special moment. We're just gonna grant gifts right now. Maybe we don't even know the benefits, the use of those gifts for years or decades to come, but there's gonna be discerning people in this body. It's gonna help stay the course. We'll be anchored to the truth of God's word for the long haul because of the people of discernment. If you're willing and able, would you just stand with me? Maybe today's the first day where um, you've even considered following Jesus I wanna tell you the beauty is when we put our faith in Jesus, you are forgiven, you are declared righteous, and then we get to spend our days becoming righteous. But when you say yes to Jesus, His Holy Spirit that's already been working on you comes into you and He gives you gifts. He always shows up with presents. He's that crazy ant that shows up and His gifts every time they show up, like it's the Holy Spirit. He doesn't show up without gifts. My crazy ants in the audience today. Uh, I love you. It's what he does. And maybe today you say yes to Jesus and you got a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainties, but he shows up and he forgives and he gifts you. And the way he gifts you helps other people. So we're just gonna ask, maybe if you're comfortable, just put your hands out in front of you. It's just a posture of receiving. We're just gonna ask, Holy Spirit, would you just right now, I know that you are already at work. You're always at work. And God, you are drawing sons and daughters to yourself through the work of your spirit. And Holy Spirit, I just thank you that when you show up, that you gift the individual with something that's beneficial to the body. And it's been amazing over the course of these last three years and even the last few months, the way that you are fitting this body together perfectly, not just with personalities, but there are gifts and there are needs that are coming together perfectly. And Lord, we just come before you specifically with the desire for discernment today, the gift of your spirit of discernment. It is our desire to be a church that is faithful to your word, regardless of who is in what leadership positions, but that anchor church for this generation and the generations to come will be a place that stands strong and faithful to the truths of Scripture. God, that we will not deviate, we will not drift, we will not loosen, we will not ignore, we will not break. We will be a people of your word that Jesus, as you affirm and you find identity in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that we're gonna follow you, we're gonna draw close to you and where you find your identity. So Holy Spirit, we just say it simply right now, would you gift this church with discernment? Lord, I pray for specific individuals. Holy Spirit, there would even be a, a physical sensation that they experience in this moment as you are coming over them and you are baptizing them and you are gifting them with your gifts. And Lord, we beg for discernment to keep us on track, to keep us faithful, to keep us diligent, to hold your, your truths as first and foremost. God, would you just gift this community and specific individuals in it with this gift that benefits the body.
God, let the rest of us go to them and let the, the, the leadership of this church have the humility to listen to those that you are gifting with discernment right now. Lord, we love you. We're receptive and we're responsive to what you wanna do.